Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey, everybody. This is Damon Johnson, and you are listening to Talking Metal. Come on. Hey, guys. It's Mark Striegel. Welcome to episode 913 of the Talking Metal podcast. Before we get into the episode, let's take a minute to thank all our patrons and the upper tier people will start with them we're talking about andrew miller welcome to the upper tier andrew brad Dahl from yarg metal chris riley dan gurwan denny striegel jerry from salt lake city matt carroll mike jones steve hoker steven sailor and uh yeah that does it for the upper tier they are the strong, they are the upper tier on my Patreon page. Big shout out to the other supporters, David Gray, Drake, Fred Roots, Glenn Watson, Huckney, Jacobson, James Bennett, Jason Seth, Gene Eugene DX, Jeremy Weltman, Joe Ryan, who I just spoke with briefly on the phone. Joe, sorry our conversation was so short. Let's catch up more soon. John Simpson, Mario Charance, Metal Dan, Metal Dan, sorry. Michael Street, Sam Soupy, Sean Richmond, Stephen Rodriguez, Tommy Anderson, Victor Guzman, Anthony Mackey, Brent Carter, Edward Ferguson, Jerry from Long Island, Gregory Muse, John Francois Blas, Johan Erdestrom, John Barron, John Bovari, Kenny McCrimmon, Leo from Alaska, a.k.a. Leo Shabin, Patrick Sabin, Ron Keel, and a big shout-out to Victor Ruiz, who does some of those bonus podcasts with me on Patreon. And now, let's get into the episode. All right, guys, welcome to the episode. We... Uh, are giving you a bonus podcast. Talking Metal usually comes out on Tuesday. Obviously, it's not Tuesday that this is being released. It's whatever day I'm releasing it, probably Thursday. And we had Damon Johnson on, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite records, Unmasked by Kiss, a very controversial choice, I'm sure. 
And I'm going to bring in my my old friend, Mitch LaFon, to discuss Unmasked with me, among other things. So stay tuned for that. And there was just, I'll be honest, guys, I'm getting so backed up with interviews right now. I really only want to do one episode of Talking Metal a week. But in fairness to some of my guests, that I don't leave their stuff sitting on my hard drive for weeks on end, I did want to squeeze this bonus podcast in this week. And wow, it is just a great episode because, like I said, I'm I'm so happy to share my feelings about Unmasked. And I found a fellow person, and we're a rarity, who also loves Unmasked, and that's Mitch. So we're going to talk with Mitch. Uh, it's been far too long and that you know, Mitch and I have been apart. We used to do so much content together, metal raps and guests on each other's podcasts all the time. So what a welcome return. And uh, yeah, I, I guess we've both been a little distant from each other. So I was just thrilled to reconnect with him and talk about one of our favorite subjects, KISS. And we also get into some other topics too. But right now, let's talk to my main man, Damon Johnson, former guitar player of Alice Cooper, Black Star Riders. This guy has done so much, including the great Brother Kane. Man, I remember hearing... Brother Kane used to get played on K-Rock all the time in New York City back in the 90s, I think it was. And wow, I loved them. And many years later, became friends with Damon Johnson, the guy who was the you know front man and guitar player in Brother Kane. So how cool is that? He has just a killer new record out that we're going to talk about. It is called Battle Lessons. So let's talk to right now my friend Damon Johnson. <laughs> Hey, it's Mark Striegel, and we are welcoming back to the show Damon Johnson, one of my favorite songwriters, guitar players. Damon, how are you, man? Mark, I'm great, brother. Always a pleasure to speak this, to you. Well, always a pleasure to speak to you and, and an honor, man. You know, I've been a, a fan since the Brother Kane days, and this is a big week for us Damon Johnson fans because Battle Lessons is here. I'm showing you, I got the CD, I'm loving it. Such great stuff. and. The songs that come out of you, man, they just they, they they hit you with that hook and they they have that the balls, they have so much going for them. Uh, and where do these come from, man? Because I, I just I'm blown away by the fact that you continue to give us such great new music and it's consistent. You know, we get it from you every year, every couple of years. How how does the songwriting process work? Are you bouncing ideas like off of Nick and the other guys in the group like how or is it more just you kind of recording stuff on your own first demoing it up what is the Damon Johnson songwriting process well let me first say thank you Mark thanks for having me on and thank you for those very very complimentary words um the process for me especially the last five years has really been streamlined and super simple, Mark. Uh, you and I've spoken before about one of my favorite all-time collaborators, my old friend, Jim Troglin. And we have been friends, he's from the Birmingham music scene. And uh, I met Jim right about the beginning of the Brother Kane days. He was in another band. And, uh, you know, just through the years, man, uh, I recognized that he, had some special skills as 
almost like a pure artist. And, you know, I just love having somebody that's not of my specific influences to bounce ideas off of. You know, it was great in Brother Kane because we all loved Aerosmith and the Black Crows and Guns N' Roses and, you know, and, and Black Star Writers, obviously Thin Lizzy carried a lot of kind of the overall vibe of the music of that band. But with my solo stuff, I love jumping genres, uh, having no limitations about anything, lyrics, the sound, the acoustic, electric, whatever. So all I can tell you, man, is that this batch of songs that Jim and I started back in October of 2019, all, all but one of the new songs was written before the pandemic. Mark, I was so energized. I was so like blown away at just how I felt. This is my little workspace I'm talking to you in. I have so many great memories now of sitting here at this desk and creating the demos for that CD that you hold in your hand. Literally like laughing. I was so happy. I was like, oh my God, these songs are badass. This is going to be so much fun. Uh, the first two songs that Jim and I wrote together were Can't Clap Any Louder and Lightning Bolt. You know, both songs, man, 180 beats per minute, just like Alex Van Halen right. on 10, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, And do you um, send ideas to Jim? Do you sit in a room together with him? How does it actually work? Well, again, we've got no specific way. General uh, For Battle Lessons and for my last album, Memoirs of an Uprising, we did have kind of a like a start day where I drove down to his house. He still lives in Alabama and he had 10 or 12 ideas. I had 10 or 12 and we just start batting things back and forth. Maybe he has a title. Maybe I have a riff and a groove. Maybe uh, there was a story I had written and I let him hear it and we just start bouncing it around. Then what happens is I come back here and that's sort of when I turn into as close to my version of David Bowie that I can possibly become. I just start moving things around. You know, I just lay the song out in front of me. All right, here's this and here's that. This needs some work. This needs a different color. What if we change the drums here? What if it just went to halftime? Little things like that. And right. it just, I've never ever had more fun, more fulfillment, I guess is a better word, Mark. It was so fulfilling for me creatively to make this record. A lot of credit to Jim because, you know, man, he is optimistic times a thousand. Like he never gets frustrated ever. He never right. is like, well, I don't know, bro. I don't, he, he, he's, his, his response is always, yes, yes, more of that. Yes. He, he doesn't even know how it's really going to ultimately turn out. So as I started to make these demos and send them back to Jim, Mark, his reaction was over the top. Like I've never heard him flip out like that. So, you know, man, that gave me a lot of confidence. And, and then, you know, I had a meeting in January of last year with Nick Raskulinix and I went to him with my hat in my hand to say, Hey brother, would you consider producing right. this record for me? And just because we're friends, that doesn't mean he's going to be able to make time for me in his studio. He's super busy always. So uh, once again, he was over the top about the songs and we got started. Yeah. And Nick, of course, is just a monster producer and engineer that you've 
work, you know, you worked on numerous albums with him in the past. I want to get into your history with, with Nick, but of course he's done just, I'm sure people know Rush and Foo Fighters and I'm trying to think there's many other big ones too. I know Fireball. Al- Alice, he's done the last Alice three and Alice and Chains records. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A monster producer. Take us back to your earliest relationships and maybe even meeting Nick for the first time. When was that? I met Nick in 2013. Uh, my family and I had just moved to Nashville. And Iron Maiden played the arena here in town. And I went down to the show. I had had the thrill of meeting Steve Harris when Alice Cooper had supported Iron Maiden at a oh, big cool. cu- couple of big festivals. Yeah. So Steve had sorted it out so we could come to the show. So my wife and I went down to kind of this you know, meet and greet area to say hello uh, before the show. And as we're waiting, I see Nick walk in the room. I've never met Nick. I knew who Nick was, one, because I had several records that he had produced. And I was also a big fan of Dave Grohl's documentary, Sound City. And oh, yeah, Nick me was too. Yeah. Yeah, man. Nick was featured in that. So I remember I elbowed my wife. I'm like, holy shit, there's that guy. There he is, <laughs> you know? And uh, we had, there was a mutual friend there that, that introduced us. And I was a little intimidated, you know? And I finally found a minute to say, hey, Nick, I'm so happy for you that you got to produce those Rush records. Can you tell me one Neil Peart story? And he just lit up like a, like a Christmas tree, man. He was so cool. And, and his whole manner was just like the guy in the movie, you know, in the documentary. Right, was, right. And the, the, the bigger bonus was instantly his wife, Amber, and my wife, Linda, man, they just hit it off thick as thieves. <laughs> I thought helpful. I, yeah. I, yeah. I think they literally went to lunch together the next week because they were like, okay, we're the only rock chicks in this town that have kids. Everyone else is right, no kids, right, you know? Okay. <laughs> so, so that was some common ground. And, and as you know, uh, two years later, we needed a producer for what was the second black star writers album. And I just, on a fluke, I said, hey, Linda, would you give me, would you mind if I texted Amber or ask Amber if I could get Nick's number? And I was still intimidated, you know? And Nick, uh, I sent him a text. I said, hey, man, I'm just reaching out to see if there's any remote possibility that you'd have some time. And his, I'll never forget his response. He goes, do you have any songs? Question mark. That was it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and of course, I said, yes, sir, we have lots of songs. And uh, so that's how it started. Awesome. That's a great story. Great story. And when he comes on as a producer, obviously, you and, and Jim have been writing these songs. And uh, I know you had a couple other songs, too, on the record that maybe Jim wasn't the co-writer on. But do you yeah. present the songs to Nick? And then he's like... I mean, because I've heard some producers like practically rewriting songs and stuff. Is he is he involved in song structure and and other producers I've heard just, you know, they just sit back and, you know, create a vibe in the room. What what type of producer is Nick? What How does he work as a producer? Mark, that's a fantastic question specifically about Nick. And 
even more so about his and my relationship together. When he did that first Black Star Riders record, the only kind of demos that Ricky Warwick and I ever made were just acoustic. Literally, he and I playing acoustic together. Maybe I'm singing a harmony and we just get the arrangement down with the goal of, you know, going into rehearsals or pre-production with the band and then, you know, plugging in and figuring it all out. So that's what I sent Nick that first time. So he could tell we had some stuff. I think we got lucky. He had a break in his schedule. He had nothing else to do. So right. he said, okay, I'll do this Black Star Writers record. He did come see us play a show. And, and that was what kind of convinced him. But um, yeah, man, he was hands-on. I remember many times on the two BSR records we did together, he would get frustrated that we were always on the acoustic guitar. He's like, man, where's the riffs? I need, I want to hear some riffs so I can tell if we've got the, you yeah. know, the juice. Okay, your boy Damon is paying attention, right? So we got through that record. He did an insane job. Uh, the Killer Instinct is, is maybe my favorite of the three Black Star Riders records that I did with them. Um, so the next time we got together, I made some demos this time. You know, I played electric guitar, put a little drum groove together. I would have Ricky sing on it like we'd be on the road and he would just sing into my laptop or whatever. Um, black uh, Battle Lessons, Let's Bring the Clock Ahead. I made very, very involved demos this time because, you know, Mark, I just knew that because I knew Nick was about to produce Evanescence. He was about to work with Hailstorm again. He was going to be really busy. And the only way he was going to carve out some time for me is if he loved the songs. And, you know, brother, you and I are pretty good friends, man. Maybe I'll I'll put a little folder together and I can send you the demos. Right. And. And you'll see, you'll be like, well, no shit, man. Like six of these nine songs, they sound exactly on the demo the way they sounded on the record, only okay. the, dr the drums are incredible, the guitar sounds are incredible, mm -hmm. and, the, and the vocals are, are, are better, you know? So, but I think that's why Nick really loves working with me, Mark, because I'm, I'm not hard work for him. I'm not. I make a lot of it easy. And again, man, when I played him these demos in January of last year, it was a big day for me to see his reaction. He, he literally goes, wow, man, you've been working really hard. He goes, I hear three or four killers. Yes, let's do this. Let's figure it out. And uh, so about, I guess, about a month later, we, we got in and started. Awesome. And we are again are talking with Damon Johnson and the new album is Battle Lessons. Damon Johnson and the Get Ready. I do want to give a shout out to the Get Ready. Can you run down who those two guys are for us? Yeah, man. Jared Pope on drums, Robbie Harrington on bass. I never thought about this, Mark, until I started doing interviews for the album. But I literally met Robbie and Jared around almost in the same year. Oh, that's funny. Nick Raskulinitz is calling me as we're doing this interview. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, do you need to grab it? I can I can edit it together if you do. Um, no, I tell you what I will we'll, do. We'll, we'll you know what I will let? In a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay, man. I'll call him back. Um, but what? Um, 
the thing that is really incredible is that I met Jared and Robbie almost in the same year. And all three of us were playing contemporary country music. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I was in uh, a band you and I spoke about called Whiskey Falls. It was right. a, you know, four part harmony. It was kind of like the Eagles meets Skinner. Yeah. You know, with a, with a little Keith Urban in there. And um, Robbie Harrington was playing bass for Dirks Bentley. He was a really popular, uh, you know, modern country artist. Jared wound up playing drums in Whiskey Falls because the other two guys in the band were from California. Jared's from Bakersfield. So that's how that connection happened. And as soon as I played with Jared, I was like, wait a minute. This guy's a rock guy. Like he's he could play anything, anything. Uh, more than anyone I've ever played with, Mark, I, I could tell, OK, Jerry could play anything I throw at him. Heavy, soft, acoustic, riffs, southern, swampy, metal, whatever. And then, uh, you know, Robbie was I saw Robbie play with Dirks and Mark, he had the coolest denim jacket I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, he was totally sleeved up, which you didn't see anywhere at that time in country. It wasn't quite as. Yeah, is uh, is hip to to have a bunch of tats at that time, and I was like, "Hey, man, you're not a country guy. You're you're way too cool to be, yeah. <laughs> you know." And we just kept in touch. You know, Robbie would always uh, I would always get texts from Robbie when I'd be out of the country with with Alice Cooper or Thin Lizzy, and so you know, just in my mind, I was like, "Man, if I could get those two guys in my band, and as you know, Mark, uh, for a little while." Starting two years ago, I had my friend Tony Higby on guitar. Yes. So we were, yep. you know, we, we, were, we were a four-piece band. But because of Tony's schedule uh, last year and the year before, we wound up doing several shows as a trio. And I just loved it. I loved the freedom of it. I loved the dynamics of it. It wasn't quite as much of a, you know, barrage off the stage. I felt like I had more control over everything. And um, we did that. We did a run of dates uh, supporting Clutch in December of 2019 that were incredible. We did that three piece. And then we went out with UFO. Did you catch us on one of those UFO dates or you missed um, that? I, I, I did not. No, no. Because I, I, last time I saw UFO, I think it was with Saxon. Um, but yeah, so it's been. OK. Yeah, I did not. You guys played in Jersey with Clutch. Like that's right. Uh, and that's it was right. it like December 30th or something like that. And I was in Indiana with my wife's family. So yes, yeah, I got that. you yeah. now. That's right. Cause I remember I think we communicated a little bit yeah. about that. Well, anyway, brother, those two tours were just that cemented it for me in my sure. mind. Like, all right, we're going to rock this next record as a trio. And that's exactly what we did. And, <clears throat> um, man, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't, I, again, I just feel so inspired. I feel so fulfilled uh, just sort of artistically with the way the record turned out. Obviously, Nick delivered. The guys in the band delivered. Um, yeah. God damn, man, I just want us to be able to get to play and, and yeah. get out there in front of some people. Well, that's the next step. And I mean, I, fingers crossed, Damon, because I mean, we're hearing, I'm trying not to get too excited, but we're hearing good news about numbers going down. People are getting vaccinated. They just announced... Pfizer is going to be shipping 13 million a week of vaccines. Johnson and Johnson just got approval. So listen, man, I, I think we're well on our way for this. Fingers crossed. Again, I'm trying not to, you know, 
get too excited, but we need yeah. Damon Johnson and the get ready back in New York city, man. That, that was such a great show with the Iridium I was at a couple years back. And then we need you guys back playing shows because the new record deserves to uh, have these songs heard live again, it's battle lessons by Damon Johnson and the get ready. And again, we'll link it through the show notes. It's great stuff. I'm going to let you go call Nick back. But I, I think I just put up on Instagram a couple days or weeks ago. The, the Killer Instinct turned six. I think I I had uh, tweeted. Oh, that's right. Put that yeah. up. So awesome, that is man. another great record, guys. That if you don't know, Black Star Riders with Damon Johnson, uh, uh, the record, the Killer Instinct, which is my favorite Black Star Riders record too. So many great tunes on that. Yeah, man. Nick Nick played a major role in that. Mark, it's always a pleasure, man. Thank you for uh, speaking with me a little bit. Uh, I know we talked a few months back, but this, you know, it's a big yeah. week, man. I'm so, I'm so happy that the record is out and that the fans are getting it. I'm, my ego is firmly being stroked by the reaction to, uh, yeah, <laughs> to, should be, yeah, to the great record. stuff. And as a fan, thank you for this great new music. We will uh, connect soon. You and the family stay safe. Okay, brother. You okay. too. All right. Take care, man. <laughs> Big thanks to Damon Johnson for joining me here on Talking Metal to talk about his great new record. It's highly recommended that you pick it up. I got the CD version of it, and I'm also listening to it on Apple Music. Sometimes I just like to buy the CD to support, but uh, I did. This is crazy. I did pull out my my CD Walkman. I think it's Emily's, actually, my wife's old CD Walkman from, like, college or something, and put some batteries in it, and it works. So... I was inspired by Leo from Alaska who sent me a bunch of CDs and I, I wanted to listen to him while I was out like walking my dog and not, you know, just pull the CDs up on Apple music. And it's fun, man. I, I miss CDs putting a physical thing in pressing play. Uh, yeah. So much fun. And I got the new Damon Johnson. So I'm in a CD mode this weekend or this week, I should say. And let's do this. Let's uh, let me read you. My written script here on Unmasked, and then right after that, we will talk with Mitch LaFon. The album Unmasked by Kiss was released on May 20th, 1980, when I was 10 years old. I bought it immediately. I had been anxiously awaiting for the release of this album for months. In 1980, I was an absolute diehard Kiss fan. At least once a week, I headed off to school, proudly wearing my red Paul Stanley iron-on t-shirt, which was bought at the Livingston Mall in New Jersey. And unbeknownst to me, at that time in history, Kiss's popularity was starting to slip. In retrospect, this album seemed to help accelerate that slip like a banana peel on an oil slick. At the time of its release, I remember Unmasked as being absolutely brilliant with perfectly crafted songs that were more pop than hard rock, but they still had that rock edge. I recently went back and listened to this album from start to finish numerous times, and I gotta tell you, it still sounds great to me. I really love just about every song, but now I wonder why, because from everything I've been told by almost everyone, this album totally sucks. Every review I find on it now is awful. Even Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons both gave it one a one-star rating, in one of their books, and they both have major issues with it. Kiss was one of the biggest bands of the 1970s, and I think that when we hit the new decade of the 80s, people were convinced they needed to turn the page on the 70s quickly. Back then, I believe cultural shifts happened much more rapidly. 
Nowadays, with the internet, everyone's favorite style of music, uh, politics, fashion sense, uh, sexual desire, film, art, and just any type of interest can live on forever with a like-minded group of people. But in the 80s, we didn't have the internet, and that was definitely not the case in 1980. Things changed quickly and disappeared quickly. Well, at least Ace Frehley seemed to believe in Unmasked a bit. He is proud of his three songs on the album. Ace gives the album three and a half stars out of five. I love the Ace songs on this album. Torpedo Girl even has a bit of a Beach Boys influence. How cool is that? In 1980? Well, in 1980, the Beach Boys were probably even less cool than Kiss was at that point in time. So uh, that's not very cool, actually. Having said that, I love the the Beach Boys, and, and I love a Kiss. But uh, anyways, Peter Chris was, of course, nowhere to be found on this album except an image only. He did not sing or play drums on Unmasked. The Gene and Paul songs are insanely catchy and take Kiss to new places with their use of backing harmony vocals and pop sensibility. Despite what you may have heard, 1979's Dynasty album was actually a hard rock record, with some segues to other musical styles and sounds, especially in I Was Made for Loving You, where they kind of go a bit disco, or maybe quite a bit disco. Uh, 1980's Unmasked was not a hard rock record. It was a, it was a pure pop rock record. And again, not hard, really. It, I mean, little bits of it were, but in general, not a hard album. And, and, you know, that's okay with me. I really want to give you the standout tracks from this album here, but I can't because I love every one of them. I will mention that the song Shandy was a minor hit in Australia, and it should have been a hit in the U.S. It was not. By 1981, the United States had a new president. There were new fashion styles, new TV stations like CNN and MTV. Uh, the Fonz had definitely lost his cool. Disco was a distant memory. Everyone's pet rock had died. The sideburns were shaved. The bell bottoms were gone. Iron-on shirts had dissolved beyond recognition. And the world had moved on from Kiss. But like any good late 1970s or early 80s era sitcom or drama, the band's success was to be continued until a few years down the road. There you have it. Let's get into my conversation with Mitch LaFon here on Talking Metal. It's been a while, but we are welcoming back to Talking Metal Mitch LaFon of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. How are you, Mitch? Good, good. It's, it's great to be back. It's been a while. It has been a while, yeah. And we've been doing this thing on Talking Metal where we kind of re-examine an album that at least I consider a classic, which isn't always what other people consider to be a classic but i know you had a mutual love for this particular record that i just think is great it is kiss unmasked and just off the top of your head can you share some personal memories of that record because i know there was the whole thing isn't that the time you went down to new york city and had the it big is. meeting and just any any personal memories of that record and experiences you had with or through that record well, that is where all this uh, rock talk stuff uh, started for me. I, I went down on uh, June 9th, 1980, to New York City to interview Gene Simmons at the ripe old age of 11 years old. And it was for the Unmasked album. And so uh, we got to see Gene. My mom took me down. We got to see Gene. No makeup. 
over at Ocoin Management, and which is uh, a big deal in 1980. I mean, no one saw Kiss without makeup. That's yeah. Which is a big deal when you're 11 years old. Whenever, right? Yeah. <laughs> whenever the year is, and uh, they gave me the unmasked vinyl, and on the back it was stamped in gold, and I still have it. It says uh, promo copy not for sale. Right. And so this so, is an advanced know, copy. Would it have been at that? Well, point? no. The album came out in May, so it was like two weeks later. Right. So, okay. But. You know, had we done the interview in May, I mean, the only reason we went in June is because everybody was in school in May, right? So right. <laughs> couldn't do, hey, mom, can you take me to New York to meet Gene Simmons? Oh, yeah, and miss a few days of school. No, that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have worked. So so we, we went down and we got that. So that, that's where it started for me. So when people talk about the album being not what Kiss was supposed to be or too pop or too this or a left turn, I don't feel that way because of that emotional connection to it because it rep- represents the first interview I ever did, it, 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 it's seeing Gene Simmons without makeup. It, it's going to New York City. Remember, I, I live in just on the suburbs of, of Montreal. So going down to New York City, the city, the big city. Right. Uh, just everything associated with it to me is absolute perfection. And then I returned to New York City in July, a month later, to see the show at the Palladium where wow. Eric Carr was introduced. So that that whole unmasked uh, time, it, it, it was, you know, it's like the marking moment in my childhood. So when somebody says it sucks, well, okay, but I can't disconnect it from that memory. So for me, yeah. it's, it's just perfect. I, I hear you. And for me, it, it doesn't suck because, you know, I, I had gotten that album. I was really in the dynasty. And to me, Ace had had three songs, you know, which was a big deal yeah. to me because I was a big Ace Ace fan. And yeah. the songwriting, I went back and listened to it today. And again, I have that emotional connection to it as a 10 year old or whatever, too. But the songs are really well crafted, yes. good songs. And I mean, I, I just was looking back at old reviews of it and I read one which, you know, was probably written not at the time the album came out, but he would just trashed it and said it sounded like leftover songs from the solo records. And, and to me, I just feel like <laughs> it was, it was a new space for, for kiss. And it was definitely yeah. a pop space, but at the end of the day, those songs were good. And I mean, Shandy was a, a hit in Australia, you know, it may have not gone over well in North America, but it saddens me when people don't give that album a chance because it's pop. Well, and the other thing that you need to remember is, you know, Kiss was starting to become the kids band by the end of, you know, Dynasty. Now, you know, you go to a Kiss show before that and it was the 18, 19, 20 year olds. And then after that, it started being the 10, 11, 12 year olds. But I think that switch looking down 40 years later was important because we stuck around. We're still here. So bringing in that younger, fresher uh, fan base helped the band. And listen, if if the the songs were or the album was. I don't know, Flock of Seagulls or something, they probably will all have been top 10 hits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're great songs. Yeah. Maybe, I, maybe Kiss was the wrong vehicle for the songs. That's a good point. Some might argue. I don't argue that. I, I Is That You? Naked City? Uh, she's So You... Yeah. What's wrong with that? They're great songs. Right. Really good songs. And Fun. even some of the deeper cuts, like Torpedo Girl. Um, yeah. What's the album closer? I was just listening to it. Uh you're all that I want, I think, is just such a, a great tune. And tomorrow, don't forget tomorrow. Yeah. And tomorrow we're gonna fall in love. Come on, that's, that's yeah. That's, it's it's fluffy fun. Yeah. 
great stuff. So on another note, Mitch, I mean, you have your your pulse on the the industry. You talk with a lot of people on your podcast again, which everyone needs to check out. Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon which I'm sure most of you already are checking out, but if you don't definitely check it out, Mitch, what, what do you think is going on with concerts now? We've been in this weird time with this COVID that just drags on and on and on. Are you getting a sense that concerts will be returning this summer or are you thinking it's further off? Well, you know, it's really, first of all, it depends. If you're in Florida, they're they're already back. I yeah. mean, you know, uh, Night Rangers played, Steel Panthers played, Air Supplies played, uh, Buck Cherries played. I, I think I mean, Foreigner, too, either has played or is playing Florida. Or, or, yeah. yeah. So, so Florida, Florida is open for business. Uh, listen, it's, it's a tough one. I think the smaller bands are in a tough place because a lot of the bars are going to be closed. So they'll sort of have nowhere to go. And I think the larger ones, your Metallicas, your Madonnas, your Bruce Springsteens, you know, that are doing Madison Square Garden, that are doing... The, the the festivals and, and the, they might not have anywhere to go because that's too many people. I just can't see any government allowing 20, 25, 50,000 people into a venue right now. So it's kind of tough. But listen, if you if you listen to the news, if you listen to Fauci, if you listen, to, they're talking maybe September, maybe October. And then the Wall Street Journal uh, last week ran a story saying that COVID uh, is down 77 percent and by April we'll have her, herd immunity. I think that's, you know, a month away, that might be a little bit much, but I don't know. Listen, literally before we got on the air, Aerosmith canceled their their summer tour and moved it to 2022. Wow. Okay. So I, I don't know. I, I think uh, I think for most parts in the States, uh, you know, Texas, Florida, they'll probably be ready to go all summer long. I'm pretty sure, you know, the stadium tour will just never happen. I mean, there's there's no way that Massachusetts is going to allow uh, you know, Fenway Park to hold a concert. I just, I, I can't, I can't see it. Right. And the, and the smaller bands, I, I just can't see where they're going to play. And, you know, you and I go to M3 and we love M3. We love everything about M3. I just can't see it happening. Not in, what what, what was it? End of April, early May? End of, just, yeah, yeah. I think it's end of April, early May. Yep. I can't, I, yeah. I can't see that happen. I want it to happen, but um, let's hope Labor Day. Let's hope when the football season kicks up, and the, and, and the Giants get back on the field and the Washington football club. Let's hope that everything is just back to being the fall and concerts and hockey right. and football and NBA. And just, you know, let's hope and pray, I guess, is where yeah. we're at right now. Yeah. And I wanted to I don't I know you don't work for for them, but you do work with them. Sometimes the people who put on heavy Montreal, uh, Avenco, yeah. such a great festival that I've had the honor of coming up there through mm-hmm. through your connections actually so i thank you for that but will there ever be another heavy montreal because I, i've been hearing from other people north of the border they are saying yeah it's done i don't know if you have any info on that or predictions yeah, I, I think it's done i mean they they were going to skip it last year and uh i just don't see how they're going to revive it you know they, they they planned on skipping one year and coming back this year but now They've lost all, plenty of money on not having any shows. They've lost plenty of money on not having uh, fans in the in the stands for hockey. Uh, you know, it was a very tenuous festival at best. So I want it to come back. I just don't don't see it. And uh, they they started a new festival called the Lasso Festival, which was going to be country. Oh, okay. The first edition got canceled last year. 
So I really think they're going to want to put their 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 marbles in that bag, and I, I think they're going to go to the country festival. You know, Heavy Montreal was great, but it was doing fifteen, twenty thousand. It wasn't doing the forty-five thousand that that they were hoping for. But uh, yeah, I, I don't see it. I, I'd love it, but there's no no official announcement. Right, it's just complete gut feeling. If it I comes back, I'll be the first to to wave the flag. Let's you know, let's be honest. And right, can you? Yeah, absolutely. Just a, so much fun coming up there and, and hanging yeah. out at Heavy Montreal. Uh, who's coming up on Rock Talk? Who, what can we expect on future episodes? Oh, wow. Uh, the, today I put up Jeff Tate. We've got Pretty Reckless coming up. Uh, you know, I, I've sort of been changing the focus as much because I, I've been talking to sort of these the 80 rockers for a long, long time. So I've got... Uh, Boy, I've got the guys from 10 years after coming up. I've got the guys from the Straubs coming up. Okay. Uh, Don't know Just them. a lot of, yeah, I, I'm doing a Thunder again because I love my Thunder. They've got a new album. Yes, I heard uh, that. FM has a new album coming out in April. Uh, uh, Udo I booked. So just just a lot of a lot of just very uh, different stuff. Not, not the same guys all the time, which, by the way, I love the same guys. I would sit right. and interview Aerosmith and Paul Stanley all day long. But- you know, listen, I'm trying to do something different. Right on. 20 years. Right on. Cool. And as far as the Twitter goes, it's just at Mitch Lafon, right? At Mitch Lafon. That, that's doing quite well. I mean, I'm at 22,000 followers and wow. the monthly impressions are crazy. I'm doing 8 million monthly impressions. So yes. almost 100 million impressions a year, which is, it blows my mind that people are uh, that intent on what happened on this day or on that day, but I love doing it. People love watching it. So, and I saw the, at some point, I think recently, or maybe I just noticed it recently, the official blue check appeared next to your, uh, your, your name on, on, on Twitter, which I know isn't an easy thing. I've, people are always saying, how do you get, how do you get verified? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not verified. So <laughs> congratulations on that. That's cool. I, I got the Twitter verified that that was a goal. And it's funny because, you know, uh, I think it was Kierkegaard who said the the get is always, or the anticipation is better than the get. And, and you, you keep wanting it, you keep wanting it. Now that I got, it, I'm like, all right, I got it. I might as well just quit. Right. <laughs> cool. Well, don't quit. You know, we need you out no. there doing it. And uh, again, the Twitter is always exploding. So check out Mitch's podcast, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Follow him on Twitter. And yeah, let's uh, let's do this again real soon, Mitch. Yeah, absolutely. And and we should have been doing it more. I don't know why we 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 went in separate ways, but yeah, it is life. It's like leaving high school sometimes takes the the class reunion to get back together yeah well i get i get maybe you know once a month once every two months somebody dms me or tweets me and say whatever happened to metal rap so people still are are talking about that and and so we'll do a a small version uh, of metal raps every so often just here could do a reunion absolutely reunion metal raps get mitch back Uh, get the other mitch uh, yeah back in right on all right all right mitch thank you yep we'll talk soon Big thanks to Mitch LaFon. Please follow me on Twitter at TalkingMetal.com. Support me on Patreon. And visit my website, which is MarkStriegel.net. M-A-R-K-S-T-R-I-G-L dot N-E-T. And that'll do it. A quick episode for you today. A bonus episode here. Episode 913 of the Talking Metal podcast. We'll see you on Tuesday with another brand new episode of Talking Metal. Thanks, guys.